0: Well, I'm sure, like many of you, uh, you've had the Christmas playlists on. We've gone wild in the background. You can see uh, behind us, um, far OTT, uh, perhaps for your liking. Great debate whether we keep the lights on or off uh, before uh, we gathered here tonight. But um, someone's won and they're on. But like you, as we've been putting up the Christmas decorations, I'm sure you've been listening to Spotify playlists or your favourite Christmas CDs. And we've been listening to a song over the last few days, a really good song. My sister sent through the link uh, on YouTube. She lives in Canada and she thought it was so special that she sent it through. She's not usually in touch. And I've played the song numerous times. And I think it's pretty special too. And perhaps you're thinking now, all right, um, who's it by? You want to know. Well, it's by a band called Lapwing. You'll have never heard of them, but here they are. Well, I don't think they're the members of Lapwing, but uh, there's the the album cover or the song cover uh, of their song, Hope Christmas Gets You to Me. Two teachers in Glasgow, a physics teacher, And I think an English teacher. um, Look, they're singers and they're songwriters. And it means something quite special to me because I know personally one of the singers. He used to be in my youth group uh, at Carlisle back in the day. And so my sister sent it through and said, you must listen to this. Who's it by? Lapwing. Now, what's the song about? I've kind of given you a clue. But in our house, when a song comes on, That's a big question. What's this song about? Talitha usually asks that question in our house. What's this song all about, Daddy? Is this song about Jesus? And the answer to the question for this song is, no, it's not. And the artist is quite clear. Here's the Christmas song. To try and sum up how many of us are feeling this year, it sums up the feelings of the time. Who's it by? And what's the song about? Here's Dr. Luke. Look, we know that he's put careful instruction into his book, his account. We know he's a historian. We know that he's painstakingly working with the eyewitnesses to provide an accurate account of the things that really happened. Why? So that Theophilus, the most excellent Theophilus, who he is, we don't really know, but someone of standing, someone of rank, of order, it's so that Theophilus would know for certain the truth that he is being told. So, Luke, why have you recorded a song? How will that help the shaping of your material, to, to help your readers know the truth. Well, in fact, this is Luke's way. Story, story, song. The opening accounts of Luke's gospel. Story, story, song. Story, story, song. Mary's song. Well, last week we looked at Elizabeth's kind of poem. We'll include that as a song. Elizabeth's song. Mary's song. Zechariah's song. Angel's song. Simeon's song. Story, story, song. Now why would a careful investigator for truth why would he include very subjective lyrics of a song you remember John's gospel if you're on this morning you'll have heard us state those first few words in John's gospel in the beginning was the word and we know that John's gospel starts parallel in the beginning of the whole bible the old testament Genesis. In the beginning, God created. John wants to hit us hard with the enormity of the moment. Matthew starts his account with the genealogy of Jesus, links him back to his royal bloodline of, of David, and then further to Father Abraham, helping us see that history matters. So why doesn't Luke start here? Why does he include such subjective songs in the first, what do we have, first two chapters of our Bible? Why does Luke start here? See what Luke does. He takes us to the back of beyond. After starting with the first four verses, as to the purpose of his account, we looked at that last week. He starts his historical narrative in in Nazareth and takes us to the small town in the hill country of Judea. It's an astonishing start to an astonishing piece of history. But I'm pretty sure that Luke knows exactly what he's doing. Why? Because Luke, the great historian, he finishes his first account in Jerusalem. And his second book, Acts, we know that Luke's account, an historical account, a history of the world that is changed. His first account ends in Jerusalem, and his second account, the book of Acts, takes us from Jerusalem to, to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And indeed, it hasn't finished yet. See, Luke is sharpening his story. Luke is sharpening his historical account with another story and it's crucial that we get this. Luke is deliberately echoing a song that was sung by Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. The song of Hannah who gave birth to Samuel, who gave birth after a barren womb and God said, This would be different. I will give you a baby. And here Luke records the song as a deliberate echo of the past. And it's like you and I, we would hear a song on the radio and it would immediately transport us to that point in history. Do you know the song? What is the song for you? Summer of 69, Brian Adams. You kind of have an era in your mind of where that takes you back to. Perhaps an occasion, perhaps to a person. Perhaps Wonderwall by Oasis. Oh, you think, oh, right, I remember that era of my history. I go back to then. Perhaps football's coming home, Euro 96. You know what time in history that that reminds you of? And Luke, the great historian... He includes these songs to remind us, and we'll see more unpacked as the weeks go on, to remind us of great moments in history. See, Luke isn't choosing to randomly add this in. No, the Gospel writer includes the Song of Mary. Luke includes this Song of Mary to capture a key moment in history when Samuel would bring God's message of judgment to the world. God moved in history, and now he is moving again, but in fulfillment. So who's the song by? Well, we know it's by Mary, a young, ordinary teenage girl in a sleepy market town in Israel called Nazareth. Look, she's been told that she will have a baby. Phil read that. But she hasn't even had sexual intercourse with a man. Not even her husband-to-be. How will this be? Mary keeps stating, how will this be? Because I am a virgin. You think at that moment that a song is not recorded or needed. You would think that at that moment when Mary, full of fear and full of doubt, would write a lament of shame or embarrassment. It is such as the case here. Why not a cry of distress? Why not a a shaky diary entry with tear-stained pages? She's a disgrace, being pregnant, out of wedlock. See, she's been told that her baby would be pretty special. This is why. In fact, he's going to be the saviour of the world. We know that. And Mary knows her history, as every Jewish boy or girl at the time would. And the visit of Angel Gabriel, it was crystal clear. You're pregnant because of the work of the Holy Spirit, Mary. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Because of the Spirit within you. A young girl called Mary. Fear gripped her, she was greatly troubled. Verse 29 read as Phil read it, Mary, full of doubt. How will this be? Mary, whose parting goodbye to the angel was, May your word to me be fulfilled. Trusting fear to doubt to trust. This is who wrote this song. And you know, in home group this week, in Monday, uh, Monday just gone. We actually looked at this passage. We preempted what would come uh, this Sunday. And we stopped and we marvelled and we thought, this must be true. This has to be true. You can't make this up. But it's more than a special baby. You know that. We know that this Christmas. We know that it's more than a special baby because every baby, baby is special right? Every baby's special. Uh, The augurs know full well they're expecting a baby and this baby will be special. Who wrote this song? Mary. Why is it included? It's included because Luke links it to history. It's an echo of something that's happened in the past, a great moment. So what's the song about? Well, you see, at a quick glance, you'd perhaps go, well, 46 and 47, if you've got your Bibles open, 46, 47, well, it's a song of personal praise. And then you go 48, 49, well, is it about God's mercy to a humble servant? And then perhaps 50, 55, you'd go, well, here's God acting in history to humble the proud and raise up the humble to point the fulfilment of his promises. And we could all be quite nice and neat and separate it out and say, well, there's our three headings for tonight. But remember, it's a song. It's a song. And it's captured because of the passion, the emotion, the feeling of this moment in history. And we do well to remember that tonight. You know, when we sing songs... We remember the passion. I've got a few Scottish friends. uh, Johnny uh, calls himself Scottish. uh, And I see Johnny's passion uh, when he sings the national anthem. I'm not seeing that very often. But I see others when they sing their national anthem, passion rising to the fore. Perhaps for you, remember the emotion of a special song that you share. Uh, with your wife, with your husband, with your children. Perhaps you even made a special song with a CD on it and you gave it to them as a present, maybe many years ago. When the song comes on the radio, you just chuckle. You smile to yourself. It's full of emotion. It's full of meaning. It's full of passion. Remember the feeling, perhaps, when your parents played the song or the album in the car on a long drive perhaps going on holiday. And you can remember that song now, the album now, the artist now, and this song is full of emotion. It's emotive for you when you hear that again. And see, this is how we're to view Mary's song. Luke includes it for its historical themes, but it's it's also pivotal to the climax of this chapter. It helps describe the intensity, the emotion, the passion, the feeling of the moment. And so let's try and climb inside this song if we can. How do we do that? How do you climb inside the lyrics of a song? Well, let's have a go. What's the song about? It's about God's mercy, isn't it? It's about God's mercy. It's wonderful this, verse 46 and 47. Read those on the screen. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. See, when God's mercy is present, praise gushes forth. My soul glorifies, my spirit rejoices, soul and spirit are virtually the same thing. It's my whole being. Mary is saying everything within her praises God, glorifies God, rejoices in him. Praise and acknowledgement to her Lord, to God, and to who especially? Her saviour. Do you see that, her saviour? Two things, then, that we need to know about mercy uh, as we dive in um, to this song, this emotive, passionate song of Mary. Two precious insights about God's mercy. Here's one. God's mercy changes Mary's life forever. Read with me, verses 48 to 49. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on, All generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. An insignificant Jewish girl, perhaps 14 years old, 14 years old, who, like thousands of others, were engaged to marry a local fella. Joseph was her husband-to-be. Mary, who recognises herself as Sinful, you see? She sees that he's a saviour. She sees and recognises herself as in need of rescue. For she recognises the one being sent from God as her saviour. Saviour, saviour, saviour comes to save. Mary, perhaps a lonely, lowly peasant girl, will become the most famous woman in the world where more artists will spill paint over drawing this lady than any other, where every generation will remember her as the mother of the saviour of the world. You see what God's mercy does? Look at her lowly situation and what God has done. He flips it and he turns her world upside down. And Mary recognises this is all to do with God. It's when God acts then things happen. And she sees him as the mighty one. Mighty one. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. Again, it simply means the whole person. Mary's saying, he's the mighty one. Holy is his name. He is holy. This is God. And she's saying, I'll be known as blessed, not because of my state, not because of my goodness, not because of my grace. It's not Hail Mary full of grace, as the Catholic Church would say. But Mary would want us to remember her as, see Mary, see how much grace she has been shown. That's what she would say. The mercy of God its when God acts favourably to those who have no hope in order to change their situation. And are those verses just about Mary? Again, is that why Luke has included them, just to help us see a, a person in history? Well, God's mercy changes Mary's life forever. And on one hand, we get that and say, yes, that's fabulous for Mary. But on the other hand, perhaps not, because Mary goes on, and here's the second point, God's mercy changes the direction of history. God's mercy changes Mary's life forever, and God's mercy changes the direction of history. In verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. 55, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God's mercy changes the direction of history, especially the direction of Israel's history. As Mary now comments. See, there was small, insignificant Mary. Here's small, insignificant Israel, among the major powers of the past centuries. You see, Mary has used this word servant for herself. Do you remember that? I am God's servant. But now she's using the word servant for, for Israel. And Luke is, is it's like you, Luke is, is now recording Mary's song uh, as Mary and Israel, they're interchangeably linked. So here's insignificant Mary and here's insignificant Israel. The Amorites and the Babylonians have held stronghold over the the centuries. The superpower of Rome currently has Israel in its grip. It's why they head to Bethlehem, for the census that will happen. And here we see God's mercy completely reverse what is normal. It is changing the direction of Israel's history. Verse 51 says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in in their inmost thoughts. Scattered the proud. Mary goes on, brought down the rulers from their thrones, sent the rich away empty. Luke wants to record through Mary's song, Insignificant Mary, where God's mercy has raised her up interchangeably with Israel. Insignificant Israel, in the midst of super forces, that God now is raising Israel up. God's mercy will win. And that may be hard for us to grasp today. Because doesn't it seem a fact of life? That the proud prosper. They always will. The school bully just seems to get stronger all the time. More people rally towards him. The obnoxious boss gets the promotion. Why? He knew it was coming, you could see it happening. The rulers reign without being held to account, it seems, in the nations around us. The rich seem to get richer. Perhaps today in this country, there seems to have never been a greater divide between the rich and the poorer. It's hard for us to grasp the day that God's mercy will win. Until he humbles them. You see, until he humbles all who persist to live without him. Drove up to Buckingham yesterday and on the road up to Buckingham, there were two occasions of flowers by the side of the road. It's just a stark reminder. And in one sense, it's a a, a horrible reminder of the great leveller that is death. Rome's power will fall. Herod will not find the baby. All who oppose God will lose. God will do it. And you see the focus of Mary's song his, his mercy. His name. See the beginning of those verses that are written down for us? He has done. He has promised. He has. Mary is social. He has helped his servant Israel, says Mary. In her songs, she sings it with emotion, with passion, with feeling. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. See, Mary can be so sure because this is the fulfillment of his promises. God is merciful in his character And he is now remembering his promises. He remembers his character, not because he's forgotten them. It's not because all of a sudden he's gone, whoa, whoa, I forgot that I was merciful. It's not like me as I forget to put the bins out most Friday mornings. It's not like me when I constantly forget to put Talitha's snack in a school bag. His remembering means that he is making his promise active. Stop for a moment. Aren't you glad that God's mercy for you is sure and steadfast? Stop for a moment. Are you sure that God's mercy for you is sure and steadfast? See, fast forward to the cross. This is how I know for sure. God's mercy Is clearly seen. He has mercy on anyone who turns to him, who humbly acknowledges their need of him. Look, it means that I, I simply do not get my deserving treatment from God. I don't get the punishment for my sin. I don't receive what I should for my proud heart that has refused to come to him. This is mercy, he does not give what I deserve. How marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Verse 50, we see that his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And let's wrap up quickly. Three things that maybe are helpful for you if you're taking notes uh, or if you jot three things down. Here's three quick things of application as we finish. Would we learn how to rejoice in Jesus, our saviour, your saviour? Let me read from the book that Johnny just read from. Um, In that first chapter, he goes on to say, this is a life changing lyric. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. It's a life changing lyric. Not just at Christmas, but for all of life. God is magnified in his weak people when we, like Mary, rejoice in him. The two are connected. God is shown to be magnificent in Mary as she rejoices in him. Because we magnify or honour or glorify what or whom we enjoy. You see that? We will rejoice in Jesus this Christmas When we enjoy him, when we remember that the baby in the manger is our saviour, he's not just a special baby. And when we enjoy him, God gets the glory. Learn how to rejoice in Jesus, your saviour, this Christmas. Learn how to enjoy him. And secondly, remember what's gone wrong. For some of you listening, you'll need to be reminded that your pride stops you from coming before him. Some of you, you'll you'll need to remember that, 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 or, or not remember, you'll just know that in your relationships, it's your pride that stops you from asking for forgiveness. It's my pride that stops me having a kind, gentle word. For Kerry or for the children or for my friends? Will you let God's mercy keep chipping away at your stubbornness and hard-heartedness? For some of you, you need to hear that. For others of you, as soon as I say, remember what's gone wrong, you can catapult or let God's grace, mercy catapult you. You don't need to be reminded. You need to be lifted up, humbled and uplifted by the mercy of God. And then thirdly, third application, would you thank him daily for his mercy? What's my view of God today? Well, he changes the course of history for all who believe. That's at the cross. I remember the moment it sank in for me. I remember the song where it all clicked and it all made sense. One line of the song where mercy met the anger of God's rod. Mercy. Mercy. God's mercy met the anger of his rod and a penalty was paid and pardon bought and sinners lost at last to him were brought. I need God's infinite mercy for me today. So just like Lapwing, a Christmas song to try and sum up how many of us are feeling this year. So let's sing Mary's song together that sums up how many of us at Town Church Vista are feeling this Advent. Expectancy, joy, openness, honesty, humility this week. No, we're in need of God's mercy daily. He sent the Lord Jesus. He was so merciful. And I need to keep remembering that that's God's mercy in action, that that would lead us to rejoice in him. So come on, church. Come on, Town Church. This Advent, let's really rejoice in Christ our Saviour. We're going to sing those words, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and we're going to rejoice. We're going to enjoy God and glorify him for all that he's done for us in Christ.